All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. Greetings from the prison industrial complex. This is the Notes from the Pin Podcast. I am your host through the carceral system, Bobby C. Welcome to my incarceration. Today, I have the lady who birthed me, amazing co-host, and all-around superhero of them all, Mama C. Yay! We're lucky that your mom named you Mama C. <laughs> because uh, it fits in, because you're, you're also my mom. It, uh... Really? It worked out pretty well. <laughs> I was wondering, so we I had this whole thing, uh, the uh, the other superhero of co-host, JD, we were supposed to do something today, some some stuff came up, he couldn't do it, so I thought, uh, let's tap Mama C and uh, just see what we can come up For with, sure. because I originally wanted to do an episode on kind of an update on what's going on with my journey as a writer, through not even just through prison, you know, kind of talk about pre-prison, which it wasn't a lot pre-prison. I wrote a little bit, and then right before, uh, for like a couple years before I came to prison, I was writing some some poetry, but very short poetry, almost like um, haikus without, you know, obviously they're not haikus if they don't follow follow the five, seven, five syllable count, but I would write these little things, and um, Monica liked them, and I was, okay, so when I would write these things, I wasn't creating like these grand stories or anything, but I was definitely in a flow state. And I, I didn't recognize what a flow state was back then, but I would be in a state where I was channeling like create uh, creativity and, and I'd have, to, so I'd, I always had notebooks with me and I'd write comedy ideas down and story ideas and shit like that. That's kind of where it was going. And Monica, even, even, even before I deserved any type of like, credit for anything I was I was playing around with she was a fan and she wanted to get some of the things I'd written like little phrases and I must abandon the need to prove and like all these different things she wanted to get some tattooed on her I I don't say that to like uh big up myself I say it's definitely probably why I, I wasn't keen on her getting tattooed on her but it was more that looking back I'm like man she had like a faith in me and belief in me before I deserved to have faith or belief in me, you know, before I ever uh, actually put the time in to hone the craft and the skill of writing and all that stuff. But uh, when I came to prison is when I was, like, plunked down, you know, with both reason and time to write. You know, I'd been right. through enough stuff worthy of write, writing. I went right to a level four. So I had the time in the engine in there to, to get going. And, yeah. and I started almost immediately writing. When I came down, I started writing poetry. I actually started writing in quarantine. Yeah. To, to, to my homeboy, I think you might have some of the original about meditation and how to uh, meditate, some of the realizations you get from it, and, and this, that, and the other. I don't mean to Go interrupt ahead. you, but I have some of your original journals. I think I even posted some pictures of what they look like, those handmade journals. Um, that you you started right away. Oh yeah, I would. You couldn't. You can't order notebooks in here. Yeah. So what I would do is, 
I would take the, the cardboard backing off of a notepad and I would stab holes in them for um, like hole punched paper. And you can't buy that either in here, right? You just, we just have the notepads where you tear them off the top, the top tears off, you know? So I would take the back, I would take two backs, punch holes in them, and I would take strips of uh, t-shirt, I would rip strips of t-shirt and stretch them out and tie loops through them, right, to make a notepad. But since you can't order the paper to put in there, you, I had you send, I don't even know if I had to, I think you might have probably came up with it. Um, you would, this was back when you could get physical mail in here. <clears throat> so you would send me maybe like 10 at a time, and maybe the first page would be a real letter. Hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And then after that, they would be just blank sheets of paper, for the most part blank, and you would lightly write I on one, hard, Y, and the next one, O, U, and, you, and then an exclamation point. And you would do that because technically if they're blank, you have to throw them. I'm not, we're not allowed to get blank paper. But if you write on them, even if it's very lightly, then uh, then they have to send it through. They can't destroy it. Right. So you would do this a, a couple times a week, and I would take them, and I would erase all that stuff off there. I still find some in my old <laughs> notes sometimes where I can see, like, I did all the way erase. And I'll, I would erase them, and then I would combine them into a notebook that I could flip through because that's what I used in the world. And... For me, when you're you, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the way you can flip through pages fast back and forth helps you to to kind of maintain a more thorough through line or thread between what you just written and what you're continuing to write. In a way that flipping them up and folding them over, that slowed down pace can like dislodge, or you can lose your grip on an idea or a phrase or or, or wording. That if you flip back and forth real quick. And I don't know if it was that or just me being so used to doing it like that. But, yeah, I felt more comfortable like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I started writing and um, was all – it was very imitative back then. Like uh, the style was – my favorite author was Palahniuk, who wrote Fight Club, and a bunch of other good books, but Chuck Palahniuk wrote Fight Club. And I liked his gritty, like visceral style and – I hadn't yet discovered that his style is kind of off the Kurt Vonnegut branch of writing. And uh, initially it was imitative, my writing. Now I really do like to think, you know, my IWB, my pin coach, Maddie, said, this is, um, there's a Palahniuk, uh, Palahniuk-esque, she's like, um, flavoring to it in a way that I believe is more, and I'm not saying I'm Trump Palahniuk, <laughs> but is a, is a not a, is no longer imitative, just influenced by, in the right. same way that when I first read Kurt Vonnegut, because I, on the back of a Palahniuk book, I read someone say, this is, he's the modern day Kurt Vonnegut. So I was like, ooh, I need to go figure out who the hell Kurt Vonnegut is. Yeah. And so I started reading Vonnegut, and I went, oh, my new favorite author. He's fucking amazing. But I saw why they said that. Like their stories, the what they're about are very different. But there's this humor, this irreverent humor about serious circumstances and situations or dark circumstances and situations that they're able to find this irreverent humor in that is very, it's like a chicken or egg. I don't know if that's, that's probably what drew me to Kalanick and made me appreciate Vonnegut, but also influences my writing as well. Yeah. That being said, 
that's how it started, and then it went all the way up to today where we're at. And there's been a lot of shit that's happened in between um, where I'm part of uh, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly I'm a part of uh, right. the, the uh, Pan America uh, IWB Incarcerated Writers Bureau, which is really I know you guys who've been listening for a while. Like, yeah, we heard about this about a fucking year ago. I think you're making it up. <laughs> right, for thinking I I made it up. But yeah, a lot has happened. I was going to do a full episode about the uh, the whole journey and stuff with JD and uh and now it you know when I first was the phone call I had right before this I was wishing someone happy birthday Ray happy birthday Ray happy you birthday. old dirtbag <laughs> I love you yeah then I was thinking about uh making Mama C uncomfortable for a majority of this episode <laughs> and uh, I told her maybe we're not gonna do right do because you had some hesitancy like I could tell the idea of me doing this episode about like the current standing and, and where I'm at now with Pen America and IWB. Even though I wasn't gonna do it with you, you were saying like, okay, well I could tell it made you uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit. Well, you know, I've always been that you need to share your expression. You don't keep it inside. It's not healthy to keep all that stuff inside. So I totally understand why it's important for you to to talk about it. But yeah, I I get a little but what, uncomfortable. But what made you uncomfortable? I just don't want it to come off as too negative, that's all. I thought it was that you didn't want me to offend the people, the amazing, wonderful people at, at Pan America and the IWB. Well, that's part of it, too. You didn't want me to be a bitch, though. <laughs> you didn't want me to be a whiny bitch. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, uh... Well, then, you know what's the the other alternative, though? No. It's me making uncomfortable conversation <laughs> with you. I don't I know. You. <laughs> but we, they're, they're, they're cutting us off. And, um, oh, man, I know, okay. We're, it's, <laughs> oh, man, all right. Um, well, I got to hit you back real quick. Yeah, and, uh, and we'll get, we'll Okay. Yeah, this is interesting. Okay, honey. Boy, that was the fastest dump I ever took. I had to go to bathroom. I had to go to bathroom. Trying to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I when I was wishing someone when I was wishing Ray happy birthday, she says, uh, "Hey, uh, someone wants to see the drawing," and I was like, "What?" Yeah. What? And she says, "Do you want to take a guess?" So. When you're, uh, you know what the kids like to do nowadays? Have you heard the term? <laughs> have you <laughs> have you heard the term "dick pick mom"? Do you know what a dick pick is? <laughs> yes. Huh? I'm not that old. <laughs> All right. Well, in when you're in prison, you can't exactly. You can put a photo. You can buy a photo ticket on the store, um, and then it comes and it has your name on it. And then you got to go over there. You put a kite into the um, special activities, and then you say, "I got a photo ticket. I need a picture." They'll put you on a call out, and you got to kind of try to hold the time because you want to get your hair cut and uh, get your clothes together and all that stuff properly uh, in order, so that when you go over there, you're looking you're looking good. Right. And then you go over there, and someone takes a picture of you, and you can you can get a couple of them. You can do different prison poses, like the one where I'm crouched down on the website, <clears throat> or just standing there. What they will not allow, I found out, is dick pics. They will not take a picture of your piece. 
and uh, and and print it out and allow. Though I bet you, because it's inmates who actually take the pictures. Here, though, in most joints, they make when they print it out. It prints out on just like your little typical home printer, like you know, picture yeah. thing. Uh, they show it to the guy. He looks at it and goes, "Okay," because you can't be throwing gang signs. You can't have your um, genitalia out. And you know, there's a bunch of you have to wear that you can't wear certain clothes. And but I bet you. I mean, I have seen people have pictures of, like, you're not supposed to take pictures with no shirt on or a white beater. And I have seen people who maybe slide slide a photographer a bag of coffee, and then they get that. Um, I have not seen someone do the old dick, because you would probably catch some sort of (laughs) Uh, fucking case. You know what I mean? That would go in your file. So if you have any uh, drawing ability in prison and you're looking to, uh, if some uh, significant other is interested, you know, Let's say they had never seen it because you met him in here. You're left to creative means to do it. And before I had I had created like this build a dick card, right? Where it was like dotted lines and cut out and then the rest of tape and all that stuff. But I thought, what if I did a <laughs> what if I did a dick mug shot? And by that I mean, oh my god, a, a straight on like top down like. And then a side profile, and I put them in two boxes, and I made them as completely anatomically correct, uh, the curvature, oh my the main, God. everything, the shape of everything, right? And it was tough because, really, so yeah, <laughs> I had to. So I had. So this is how. I first, uh, first of all, I'm, this was before I moved into this this cube when I switched bunks with Kyle. Uh, and I was on a top bunk in the very last cube on the left, which is good because people aren't walking by. But it's still people in there. So even as I'm – I don't have to do the details in the bathroom. I can do the details there. But the actual, like, tracing of the junk, that can't be done there. And I can't even let them see me. They they would look over and see me drawing a fucking a big <laughs> a dom. And they'd be like, what the fuck is he on? Why is he drawing a giant detail? So I'm using – the word giant, a uh, pretty uh, liberal here. <laughs> and so I, I would have to go to the bathroom, and I couldn't do it in the shower, right? Because I had to bring a pad of paper in there, and there's nowhere to like. So I had to go to the stall, right? And I need material too. I can't just close my mind and Jedi mind trick an erect lightsaber. So I would need. So I'd bring a magazine in there. I would bring my stenographer's pad with a pencil and try to summon the beast while people are literally right on the other side of the (laughs) stall talking. And, like, I'm trying to quietly turn papers. Like, like, And let's just say that if you were able to... um, get the soldier to you know to stand at attention for he doesn't want to hang out long right because there's so much distraction so it it took a couple tries it was very uncomfortable like this conversation for you yes, I assume. i'm fine <laughs> i'm completely fine with it and probably the listeners so it took a lot of work but here's the thing i ray knows that i'm i'm not first of all i'm gonna have to show and prove at some point right so you can actually, I think you can embellish with Photoshop with with piece picture piece pictures out in the world. But uh, and here, if you send someone a drawing of your piece and it's 
anything other than laughably small, I feel like people are going to be in the back of their mind like, yeah, but anybody can draw. (laughs) (laughs) Formidable, right? I was not embellishing because I'm going to have to show him food at some point. And so I thought, so she said she wanted to see it, right? He's cool as fuck. I've talked to him before. He's real funny. He has to see it. Now, I don't know if it was like out of the novelty, like, all right, let's go. I would also ask to see it, too. If someone said that they had a drawing of their piece in prison, I go, all right, (laughs) let me see this fucking thing. There's no way that's real. So then I I immediately thought when she said this, I thought, oh, it uh, it jarred loose a memory that in my phone, in one of the two phones, which you have, have, I was, we were at uh, lunch with Uncle Al and I was going through the phone and uh, as I was skimming through showing Uncle Al pictures of caches, it went to the stock. Oh boy. <laughs> and he was like, whoa, what is that? And he was changed his order from the hot dog to the hamburger immediately. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to tell Mama C to send that to you. And she's like, you better not. And I'm like, yep. I'm going to have her plug the phone in. I said, would that be wrong to have her send? Yes, yes. And tell, okay, all right. We can just, uh, and I feel like I tortured you. <laughs> tortured you. Uh, so now, do you want to talk about the pen America yes, stuff? Yes, please. That worked. Okay, right. Okay, now learn your lesson. Oh, my gosh. That's um, funny. It goes so ridiculous. No pun intended. It is insane. Uh, any mother and daughter combos that are listening on the way to school, <laughs> I understand that you want to one. Okay. All right. We'll go back to the other stuff. So um, for those, just a quick reminder for those that don't know, um, my general approach to writing in prison has been um, production. Create, 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 hone craft, hone style, put in the 10,000 hours with way less focus on publishing. Right. I'm like, create, 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 create a venue of your own. If you have to, I don't know if it's the punk rock, do your DIY shit that I was into. But my thing is, fuck gatekeepers. Don't need them. I'll do my own thing. I got to develop crap. Now, I have pub- I have submitted a few things here or there. Right. And the first thing I got published in was the University of Michigan PCAP anthology. Um, and I'd been published a couple other places. <clears throat> but along the way, I've just been writing. I've been, let me write this novel. I didn't follow any. Um, prescribed path. I actually did a bunch of stuff you're not supposed to do. Apparently, you're supposed to write all these other things before you write a novel. I just said, fuck it. I, I like storytelling. I got a story. Let me tell it. Started writing. Now, along the way, I ran into Justin here, who is an amazing poet. And we, turns out, we quickly realized, well, like, I recognize your name. And we were in the same anthology in one of the one of the publications we were in writing anthology okay and so we would talk philosophically about writing he he went through some of the more prescribed paths traditional routes and he uh, published with poetry and he waited before he did a full length book and so he became quickly like um the darling of one of the darlings of Pen America and these other writing organizations that specifically focus on not just incarcerated writers but also incarcerated writers so when we met, we had both had our pieces in um, in the same in, in the same. I'm a child, and I just want to say in the same anthology. Shut up! Stop laughing. In the same anthology, and we both wound up in the same 
in that way, we wound up in the same uh, uh, arena with this, but we had totally different outlooks and, and philosophies on the act of writing. And I don't claim that either one's better or worse. I just think they're different. Yeah. And along the way, we were reading each other's shit. He has a book that's about to come out. Nice. It's called American, it's called American Inmate by Haymarket Books by Justin Revilis-Monson. We also shared a lot of the same hurdles that the MDOC puts in the way of trying to be productive, especially as it comes to writing and creativity. You know this. We've had a bunch of stuff stifled along the way. He oh, just yeah. ran into another roadblock recently that I kind of want to talk about before we wrap this up. But ultimately, he convinced me after he read the novel, he read the clinic, and both of us think we're the best writers, <laughs> right? Yeah. So. We'll give each other maybe second best, but and, and I think it really should be like this. If you're really on your game, you really should believe that you're the best around and no one's doing what you're doing. And with writing or painting or something creative, it's harder to prove. It's more of opinion. Praising other people's writing when you're in, in the joint doesn't happen often. You don't run across people that are worthy of praise usually. You know, you can yeah. be positive to them and like, oh, you should work on it. That's good. You ever tried this? But actually saying like, God damn, bro. And it happened with his uh, manuscript for his book that's coming out. It's um, it's done like a mixtape. It's really cool that the, the delivery he did, and um, I really it's hard to do poetry really well in my opinion. And and it's edgy and it's 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 going to be amazing. It is amazing. But then he read he read the novel and he came to me and was like, "You you really have this. You yeah, really something. have something." Right, in right. a way that he, like, it was the best feeling because, you know, I haven't run into anyone as credentialed as him, and that's on the same level, you know. And so on the strength of that, he, recently, he, he like, a couple weeks later, he got this invitation to be part of PIN America's inaugural IWB, Incarcerated Writers Bureau, which is this really novel and rebellious and much-needed idea to create a platform where you where any publisher, director, showrunner, writer, journalist looking for credentialed authors or writers of the trade can find someone where there's a stamp of approval knowing anyone on this website is a legitimate uh, is a legitimate writer with professional ability and not just about writing in prison and this I went and reread the like the contract and one of the things they want to do is not just writers who write about prison, but genuine credentialed writers who just happen to be incarcerated. And so he got this thing, and, and I believe it's only being done in America. So he convinces me, is it okay if I kind of mention you to them and, and then kind of point them to some of your work? And I was like, uh, we went back and forth. And finally, it became like this kind of proving ground where we could kind of say our different approaches, like just see how it works. He was basically saying, come to my side. You need, they can do a lot for you. And you, I believe you can do a lot for them too, because you've kind of, I've kind of created my own path without the, the traditional routes. Yeah, and right. and mm-hmm. I've reached a lot of people. And he's even said, he said, your work has probably been read by more, more people than mine has for sure. Because if your goal is just to get it in front of people, then that's kind of what I'm doing. He was going through so I said, okay, just send them. They're probably not going to get it, whatever. So in the long run, they write back and they're like, yeah, they, they actually didn't even tell him anything. They sent me a contract and said, we want you to be part of this thing. Okay, mm. we're back. 
So um, I don't remember exactly where we left off. Um, in the midst of this, I kind of uh, I'd heard of Pen, Pen America before because uh, from being published a few places, I became I got on their mailing list. So they would mail me like submissions for this, submission for that. And, you know, I usually lance it over and then you know kind of chuck it in the trash or use use the back of the paper for notes or whatever it is. But since then, I've really um, you know how when you learn about something. And you're like, man, how did I not know about this? And then everywhere you turn, and every movie, and every conversation, and every you, right. you notice it a lot more places now that once you're aware of it. That started happening to me. And I was reading an article about Salman Rushdie, who wrote the Satanic Verses. I don't think we have too many young listeners. I think most people might know who that is. He wrote a it was a fictional story, but it uh, yeah. talked about Muhammad, and they, you know, some Muslim countries declared a fatwa on him, or, you know. Um, meaning he was to be put to death, he was an infidel, this, that, and the other. And recently, it kind of faded in the 80s a little bit. You know, he was uh, in America, and um, he ended up getting slashed and lost an eye and almost got killed, like, all these years later. Um, and as I'm reading the article about it in The New Yorker, he was at a pin America or Penn International, I don't remember. He was He's, like, on the board of trustees or something, and he was at a convention, and he was speaking when the guy rushed the stage and did this to him. And... Aside from that, I've seen it in a couple, a bunch of other places and learned a little bit more. But if you're not in, involved in writing, you might not know. So uh, I asked you to kind of let J.D. know or to do a little research on Pen America because I'm yeah. sure you'll have stuff that I don't even know. Yeah. Um, what did you find? Well, Pen stands for Poets, Essayists, and Novelists. They don't, oh, really, yeah, they don't really go by the acronym anymore. But I didn't know how old Pen America really is. It was actually... Uh, uh, started or formed, whatever you want to call it, in London in 1921. That's over 100 years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. So it started out in London, and it was founded by, and I don't recognize these names, so I apologize, Catherine Dawson Scott and John Galsworthy, Bern- George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells. Now those I recognize. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of born out of the conviction that if uh, writers of the world could reach out to each other, you know, uh, and kind of just collaborate, it would help, you know, help the world, benefit the world. So it was oh. founded, yeah, so it was founded in 1921, and it became, they became, PIN America was founded in 1922. So, um, and there's like a long list of famous Really notable writers like who were members of um, Pen America. All right, well, let me hear of my uh, who my uh, the storied fraternity, which I am now a member. <laughs> who, who well, is, I'll uh, try not to butcher these names. Um, Edward Albee, Maya Angelou, uh, Paul Auster, James Baldwin, Saul Bellow, Don Diello. Hold on, huh. Hold on. John, James uh, James Baldwin used a bunch of his stuff on the episode where I was like the Tupac, the full Pac episode. Oh, um, oh right, yes, yeah, James, yes. Yeah, James Baldwin, great, Maya Angelou, <laughs> yeah. uh, great poet who passed recently, okay. Uh, but you know this immediately, it was, um, you know, back then, black writers, they were a marginalized group, and so very early on it appears that Penn was focused on free speech and, and promoting voices, um, of not necessarily just the um, the populace or, or the um, the franchise group. So right. 
Uh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. There's just some that I want to kind of stop on, like yeah. make a little comment. Uh, Barbara Kingsolver, Norman Mailer, Thomas. Oh, Norman Mailer, huge. Yep, Thomas Mann. Norman Mailer's great. Uh, Arthur uh-huh. Miller, uh, Marianne Moore, Tony Morrison, Grace Pally, Salman Rushdie, uh-huh. Richard yeah. Richard Russo, Sam Shepard, uh, John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck, Elizabeth Trout. John Steinbeck, yeah, he's, he, Steinbeck's got some good stuff. Yeah, anyway, and there's there's a lot more, uh, a, a lot more of them that are noted too. But who are the most? Do you notice any of the other names, like the big one? Is that or is that the, some? Those, those are just more some of the more notable ones, but they have. A yeah. lot, oh, uh, Tina Fey was just recently. Oh, Tina Fey. Yeah, last year was honored. I guess once a year they honor notable members and writers for their mm-hmm. contributions and she was honored last year as uh one of them so. T- tina fey yeah. the first female head writer firm first female head writer of saturday night live one of the in my opinion the last great epoch of um of saturday night live it is i agree it is abysmal now it's almost unwatchable there, uh, there are sure, certainly some talented people on there, but I think the writing is what is is the writing is is everything. And Tina Fey knocked it out of the f and park. She uh, and she went on to write a bunch of great movies, uh, Mean Girls, which is hilarious. It's a funny, <laughs> well-written movie. She did a bunch of stuff with Amy Poehler, who is part of um, the franchise Upright Citizens Brigade um, improv uh, a group. Who was like cranked out a Broad City, Alana Glazer, uh, just a bunch of people. There's like the, the trees and the branches of comedy and writing are so fascinating to me. I'd love to see all the interconnectedness and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, P- Pin is a, a really storied, I don't want to say franchise organization, and it's a nonprofit, and uh, they're focused on uh, on free speech places. They'll fight, you know. Yeah. They're really credentials. They're they're an amazing group, and they do they do amazing things. As rebellious and anti-establishment as I've been for for my really pretty much my entire life, but especially as it pertained to writing, um, I'm not going to lie that when they sent me that contract and said we want you to be part of this thing, I uh, yeah, let's just as say you, that that old picture I, that old picture I drew would have been a little <laughs> bit bigger <laughs> in that moment. I was uh, I was. I was validated, I was honored, I was excited. I'll be the first to admit that I absolutely was. Yeah, and, you um, be. and they came out with this, um, all these bullet points and stuff we're, we're going to do. And I wrote some of them down because this is something that should have existed a long time ago. Like, I can't believe someone didn't come along and say, you know, if, if you were doing a documentary on creative arts and prisoner writers, there's no place for you, for a documentarian to go to find find out who is and by credentialed i don't mean that there's not obviously people that are amazing top-notch top-tier writers in prison that that aren't on the pin america thing or that aren't that wouldn't be on the iwb but i am saying that the ones that are there have been vetted their artwork has been vetted their writing has been vetted and they've been deemed like okay you this is a stamp of approval it's almost like a um I don't know, um, but there are certain talent agencies that if you work for William Morris or 
I think that's one of them. That you know if you're going to hire someone from through that agency that they're legitimate. That you can assume certain things about them. That they're yeah. gonna have a they're yeah. gonna have a ready bio. They're gonna have a, a, a their own style. So there's all these things. Well, let me just and, in, um, interrupt you real quick. The prison program for uh, Penn America actually was a result of the aftermath of Attica. Uh, they wanted a way to document what, what life in prison was really like, and that's how their uh, relationship with prisons kind of started, and it's evolved to look at you now. You go. Yeah, so that's a really famous prison RIOT that happened back in the day, and a um, bunch of people died, um, uh, staff as well as uh, inmates, um, when they opened fire, and it was just crazy. And there's, like, that famous chant, and you can't really mention it in here, even no, to this day can't. some 40-odd years ago, without, like, uh, making the hairs on certain people's necks stand up. But, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and, and it's the Lord's work that they're doing, right? But it amazes me that with, with the attention on prison reform recently that there hasn't been some sort of, like, credentialed list of, you know, you're kind of left to, like, I don't, how do you find? I want, I, if the New Yorker wants someone from prison to write an article, who do they go to? They, they go to the, what's his name, John Lennon, the one guy that seems to be in every periodical because there isn't a list like this. Exactly. And they, they already know, like, okay, who's written for all oh, this one guy, and then they keep doing it, and it perpetuates this one guy when there's really a bunch of great writers out there with different voices, different perspectives, different styles that could do it. So it was brilliant. It was long, it was much needed and, and long needed for, uh, for this thing to happen. So when they stepped in to do it, I thought, I can't believe this doesn't already exist and it's so needed and what a great thing it is. So they send us contracts with all these bullet points and they said they, with their mission statement and all that stuff. And that was the beginning of this year. That was, I think we had to have our um, our photos and our bios and everything signed and turned back in by February. That sounds about I right. I think Febu- by February that we had to have everything done. And they had all these bullet points of stuff we were going to do. We are going to be paired with the coach. So in addition to, be p- to being listed on their website with, uh, with ways to reach us, they were going to pair you with um, a coach or mentor from the publishing um, professional world and you were going to have two projects to do over 12 months this is in addition this is like as being part of the inaugural iwb group and you were to meet with your coach to, once every two months at the minimum to talk about the programs and they were going to give you guidance editing da, da, da. well i already see justin his um his book is getting released allegedly next year so that's really all he's been working on and one of the benefits for me, he he was like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't really know what I'm going to do for fucking projects. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, I'm kind of just focusing on, like, doing the media. And this is one of the things he's been telling me because what's happened with the IWD, for whatever reasons, we're not quite sure. We're left to guess. There have been massive delays with the website being put up. And, he, and and now, like, I get to, like, rib him about, hey, so much for your traditional pathway. We haven't heard anything from him. The, the, whole, the thing that's supposed to be up, the website's not even up yet. It was supposed to be up in April. For whatever reason, it got pushed back to November at the latest. November at the latest. November comes and goes. Nothing. They don't say anything to us, right? And so as I'm kind of saying, like, hey, man, is this normal? Like, is this part of the industry standard? Is this what happens? And he's like, um, sometimes, to be honest, and I, I don't know. But he said, listen, 
when I said that they can do stuff for you and you can do stuff for them, he's like, this is what I meant. This is where the real magic's going to come from, right? It's going to come from the website. He's like, as soon as you're up there and there's a, he said, because you've already reached people through your own methods, right? And he, he kind of wants to tap into that too. He's like, I got my book. You think you can help me get that? But there's this whole other segment of like the academics, the people in that group. He's like, that you haven't might not know about you, and he's like, that's going to be the thing that you're really going to benefit from. Right. When they start going, wait, who's this guy? Oh, he has a podcast. Okay. So, so that's one of the things he was reassuring me. He's like, listen, this program thing is, um, he said, I, I've had an experience with a mentor thing, and I didn't really, really like the way it was run, and he can be a little um, stringent or nitpicky about some of that. He's really into teaching and stuff. So, he said he had a bad experience with the mentorship program, which is like I assume like uh, something they had been doing for a couple of years to kind of try to um, maybe it's a prelude to this. And yeah. he said what he did was he ended up contacting Kate Meis- Kate Meisner, I believe her name is. She was the one who ran it. She was like the director of that branch of Pin America. And uh, he kind of explained his frustrations and what was going on. And she kind of took him under her wing and, and mentored him. And through this connection is how he got in contact his work in front of Haymarket Books and also the University of Chicago, and they both were trying to bid and because um, they wanted the work. And it was it was Kate's. It was the interpersonal connection to Kate's that led to this. Now, she was the one directing the new IWB, and something has happened where when we first started, we got – I don't want to get into the whole, the whole thing because I don't really know what happened, and that's kind of the point. In prison, we're in a system that – takes control of our entire fate, right? Our physical, mental, everything. They're, they're in control of everything. And they don't ever bother to let us know what they're doing. And if they do let us know what we're doing, it's very last minute. But they definitely don't ever let us know why they're doing it, right? So there's a psychological thing that happens when you lose your autonomy for however many years you've been in here. For me, it's, it's over a decade. To where you start to see larger systems that you're a part of especially these bureaucratic governmental systems of oppression, that one of their tools of psychological uh, control, and I don't know if they intended or what, I know some of it's intentional, but um, the effects are, are the same regardless, is that they keep you in the dark to everything, to where you're going, to what prison you're going to go to, to when you're going to go there, to what you're going to be able to bring, to who's going to be there. And at each joint, there's different rules with no explanation. What clothes you're allowed to wear, how you're allowed to wear them, what you're allowed to have your bunk like, um, how you go to chat, what order, how you pick up your store, secure packs, items. You, your entire life is dictated by other people without you being able to, to see the inner workings, the cause and effects, or even the reasons to it, right? So I realized what was happening with this great organization, this meaningful, compassionate, successful organization that has taken us on as like stewards for us, for the oppressed, when no one else wants to. And when something happens, probably outside of their control, with whatever ended up happening that caused these delays, I don't think they understand, because they wouldn't do it if they did, that even at how it lands on us when a system or an organization that we know cares about us also keeps us in the dark to stuff, also doesn't explain what's going on with our career or with our craft or with this organization we're part of. 
and we've maybe put stuff on hold and we've maybe expected this or that or they said this would happen or that would happen, right? And and when they do that, it really hits hard on, on I know me personally, but Justin as well, that, that there's a goddamn like E2 Brute, like you you guys too? And I know they don't mean it as an act of anything negative. Why would they? They're, they're a great organization. But it lands on us in a traumatic way that goes, man, even people who care about us aren't aware of like what it's like to be kept in the dark to everything. Okay, so here's what ended up happening. So as this thing been in limbo, it hasn't grown. It, that's basically what it is, right? And I got on the show and bragged about it. Like, look at this thing they're doing, and I'm part of it. I can't believe it. All this, that, and the other. And so in this state of limbo, when there's been, you know, it was like eight months ago that it was supposed to be released, the IWB website. Um, and then November came and gone, and that didn't happen. But along the way, we were paired up with coaches and mentors. Now, I already had stuff ready because I'd been focused more on production than, than publishing, right? Right. So I immediately knew what my two projects were. Justin was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Do you... You want to, he almost, he, he said, do you think we could like maybe collaborate on the TV show thing for the second one? I'm like, absolutely, bro. I'd love to do that. No problem. And so I immediately knew mine was the novel. I want, I need some professional help to, to structure the novel. And by fate's beautiful hand, I was paired with the former managing editor of Penguin Random House. She's a what? sweetheart. Yes. I love her. What? The managing editor of Penguin Random House, the biggest publishing uh, uh, house of the most amazing fiction in the world, the former managing editor who does exactly what I need the novel to do. So I send her the novel, and I'm, if, if ever I was biting my nails on listening, waiting for someone's response to it, it was this. And I can't tell you the wings that sprouted from my back when she said, this is special. Like, the, the, she just, she got it, right? right? She got it, and it made me so stoked. And I was like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew there was something here. I knew this was special. <laughs> right? And she's super busy, and she's a professional. She she went on to do other stuff. She works for all these other organizations, international groups, and um, just she does a million things. She's super busy, but she's super amazing, and yes. she's the best person. And recently in my frustration, I wrote, the, I think the fourth person down on the list of who was supposed to be of leadership over there and said, look, man, I know you guys care about us. You should know this is how things land on us when we're kind of kept in the dark. We're kind of traumatized with certain things that I don't think you guys are aware of, and I just wanted you to know if there's anything to do, uh, I can do to help, please let me know. Now, Good. I don't talk to Madison all the time. That's my, that's my coach. Because she's so busy and because – and also I don't need to. Right, so she she suggested some structural edits, a few things with a hook. Boom, did that, and now I have to retype the whole thing in there. And now we're doing line edits and copy edits, and then we're ready. She's already contacted her people at Penguin and kind of told them about it, and they're interested. She's waiting to send them a submission, and has been for the last six months, and just a sample packet. Right, that's what she's going to send. Uh, she's waiting until the IWB is up because Pen America is so credentialed and so storied and has such grandeur in the literary world that she's like, that's going to give you just an extra little boost of like, he is also in this inaugural group of these storied, you know, incarcerated writers. Right. And so we've been in a holding pattern, me personally, this entire time, waiting for the website to come up. 
So when it doesn't come up and all I'm doing is work and work and work and work it, and it doesn't happen and there's no response, no explanation, I really uh, does something to, to someone who's in prison. Yeah, and I, I think I can that. speak for, for most of us and stuff. So that's kind of the thing we've been, we've been going through recently. I think some of that is what kind of made you uncomfortable originally, or or just whining the whole time. Yeah. Maybe you thought I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's more like. But that. Uh, yeah, so I kind of just wanted to talk about where that's at. So Justin, now listen to this. One of the great things about Pen America too, or Pen International, is they fight for, you know, freedom of speech for for oppressed people and especially They think it's very important, and it is. And that it goes is. for journalists, yeah. Gaza, people in American prisons. They're they're for the underdogs, and then we and I would just hate to be in a world or a country with that that this organization um, didn't exist in. So you know this uh, from me trying to write a, a novel in here. Which let's just say this on the record. So anyone who's listening, um, a part of an administration or or governmental group, I wrote the clinic in the world. I outlined the story and did all that stuff. I honed and edited it in here because they have this thing that says that, that while you're incarcerated, they own everything you ever created here. Right. Now, the reason I was able to go through with this novel is because I, I created the idea for it. I outlined it. I did all that stuff in the world. But um, upon coming in here and trying to, to type it into my tablet and edit it and print it out, Roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. Mailroom rejections. You're not allowed to have this. You're not allowed to get a book directly from the, uh, unless it's directly from a publisher. And it's basically to prevent you from like printing out uh, the Art of War by Sun Tzu and getting it mailed in, right? Yeah. And then we have to go through and explain to them. And I have to look up mail rejection policy and cite that and file grievances. And finally, every joint I've been to, I had to get an understanding with the people. They create frivolous rules to, to maintain some sort of semblance of power still where they say, okay, well, you can send it in but um, you can't send more than 10 pages or whatever. And the the book is based on a, no, uh, a novella called Rigged, and it's really fast-paced, gritty, and it's about addiction and stuff. So they say this is a threat and safety, to the safety and security of the institution because it promotes drug use. I have to go in there and fight that and say this is a First Amendment free speech thing. It doesn't promote drug use. It's not saying to do it or it's good. It's describing. But if anything, it's deterring because it's showing the lifestyle, right? Yeah. So I've had to deal with this, and that's one of the things Justin and I both bonded on, right? So he gets this thing the other day because this book is supposed to be um, has a release date, I believe, of uh, the, um, 2024, next year, and he gets a mail rejection, right? And it says um, it's a threat to the safety and security of the institution. And it says one book by inmate, Justin Rovilius Monson, American inmate. That's the name of the book. So I go down, though, and he highlights this one part. And I'm looking to see um, what part they're going to quote, right? Because you're, you're not allowed to really have your own book and send it to you, too, because they say it's a threat and safety and security, whatever. So this is a new one I saw. And I think it's – he said someone – it has something to do with a Sixth Circuit decision in, in a higher court. But this is what they quoted, and I'm reading verbatim. Quote, the composing, proofing, publishing, and profiting from books inside the facility could be used against the prisoner for extortion or blackmail purposes. 
So the reason Jeez, they're saying that you cannot write a book in here is because it would it could create could create a situation where someone wanted to squeeze you or extort you for money, I guess. And so they're saying you cannot write books in here because someone else might see that and see that you have a I don't know. I don't know a source That's of income. Crazy. I don't know. That's crazy. And that they want to and I and just think about this for a minute. In a place void of any real actual reform. In a place that in order to hone a craft like this, you have to have your mom send in blank three-hole punched paper with light writings of affirmation so they can't throw them out. So you can tear little strips of shirt off and cardboard pieces off of notebooks and create a little notebook so you can do your thing. You have to borrow pencils. You have to sharpen them on the side of the sink, right? You have to try to get a hold of a red-colored pencil to edit. You have all these obstacles against you, right? And let's say you make it all the way through, and you do it, and you get it sent in to be edited. Instead of singing your praises, instead of using you as, a, as an example of how someone against all odds can not only survive but thrive in prison, they pull out some bullshit random, obscure... You have one minute remaining. An entirely vague excuse to shut you the fuck down. To say, you cannot do this, you better stop doing it now. And that is the reason organizations like PEN America, PEN International, and the IWB are very important. And for that, we're grateful. And we're going to push back against this. And we thank everyone for paying attention to this crazy, uh, absurd episode where I interjected some nonsense in the middle of. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get kicked off here. But I just, I, I know I say this all the time, but I mean it every time. I love all of you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, sign up for the other joint that has the special episodes if, if you get the opportunity, if you have it within your means. So, on behalf of myself, Mama C. JD, we love you, bud. Hope everything's going all right. Justin and uh, every system that wants to shut people down and the organizations that want to uphold free speech, we love you. We are gone. We gone. Hi, everybody. Mama C here. For the complete library, full episodes, and bonus content, and mainly to support this cause, visit Notes from the Pen on Patreon. To learn more about Bobby and prison reform, visit our website, notesfromthepen.com. And follow us on Twitter to stay current. This has been another Notes from the Pen production.